0: Today comes from three books from the New Testament, Acts 6, 1 Timothy 3, and Romans 16. Acts 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 1 Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clever conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in St. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Achilla, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them.
1: you Rachel and baby All right let's say a, a word of prayer together God we pray that you would send your spirit because our just naked human ears and our hearts just left to themselves are not enough to really receive your word and to be changed so come and help us we want to humble ourselves before you and say uh, we're your servants uh, we're your people. Um, you are God and we are not. So speak and teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week and today, have been addressing uh, teaching on this topic of leadership. And, you know, as a leader, as a leader, talking about leadership is a risky thing and a humbling thing. I mean, it really is. I mean, even yesterday, I found myself talking to Paula about ways that I feel like I have been personally falling short as a leader in our family. Um, and I know that I've been a flawed leader here in our church, limited in so many ways. That's clear to me, to you, I know. You've been gracious and patient with me. Talking about leadership isn't always easy if we're taking what's being said seriously, but we're doing that and with joy talking about leadership because we're kicking off a season of identifying and discerning whether God might in fact be raising up new elders, new deacons and deaconesses at Grace Meridian Hill. So we're opening formal nominations. I'd love to ask you to pray for this discernment process, an important time, and it really is an exciting Period. An exciting time uh, for the life of our community uh, for a number of reasons. But really, here are two uh, that I'd like to point out. Uh, First, it's that leadership in the Christian church was always intended to be a team effort. That God's design was never that there would be just one leader, one pastor, one elder, but rather a group of people together sharing mutual accountability. Complementary parts, different gifts, strengths, weaknesses in the eldership and the deacons and deaconesses together with them. It's interesting that first passage in Acts 6, really, what's really going on is a crisis of leadership. Needs were not being met. Poor widows who needed to be fed were not being fed because the leadership was not sufficient to be able to meet the diverse needs needs of the community. When they finally got it right, when they finally called together a new role, a new office of leadership, that's what we have in that passage, we're told this in verse 7 of Acts 6 as a summary statement of the results of that great decision, and it's this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, when the team was built up, ministry really got cooking. And we have every reason to expect that that might be the case here, that through this process in our church, raising up more elders, God willing, deacons and deaconesses, that the Spirit of God will bring about a new level of effectiveness and fruitfulness in our church, in neighborhood. May the word of God spread ever more powerfully because of this process. Secondly, we've pitched before the congregation in the, in the past calendar year that the focus of our year would be the commitment of mercy, loving the poor, extending ourselves into the lives of our neighbor where our sort of uh, desire in this year has been to take some steps to build up our commitment to love and walk with our neighbors, especially our lower income or most vulnerable of neighbors. But not only that, in terms of us pressing out, but also in terms of our drawing in, we want to become a more economically diverse community, believing that that's the sort of kingdom that Jesus is drawing to himself. And so to say how it's now perhaps time to appoint, to raise up leadership for that specific task, ministry of mercy and justice and compassion. Well, hey, this too is a, a unique and joyful blessing to be a part of. So whether if you're a, a, a member of the church officially or even if you're not a member Maybe you're not nominating anyone in this season. Maybe maybe you're not a Christian here today. You're exploring the faith. This conversation can still be very valuable to you as well. After all, you can tell a lot about an organization, its mission, its purpose, its priorities by the leadership positions that it creates and the people that fill them, can't you? I'd encourage you to be listening not just about the technical details, but about what they represent, about what the church is supposed to be, and maybe most importantly, who the God of this church really might be. So, a quick outline to what we're going to look at here through these passages. First, what does God call these leaders to do? Secondly, whom does God call into these roles of leadership? And thirdly, how does God call them? What Whom and how? Let's dive in. So first, what does God call them to do? What is an elder? Uh, What is a deacon? What is a deaconess? Elders were reminded here in this passage in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach, etc. Elders are Leaders, they're called overseers because they are entrusted with the highest office in the church to oversee the spiritual health and vitality of the people of God in that local congregation. It, of course, includes the responsibilities of setting vision and charting out the future direction of the church, of ensuring that the church is still biblical in its orientation and in its very soul. Where the elders are called to guide people in the right direction, working with people patiently, even with those who disagree, helping to make hard decisions. Elders are called to oversee the church into spiritual maturity. And in fact, the elder, that title there, that name, elder, it refers not just to biological maturity, though it might include that, a person of advanced age, But it includes most and foremost, most of all, spiritual maturity. Because elders are meant to model and to press forward the maturity spiritually of the whole community. More than anything, elders are called to be shepherds. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1, the Apostle Peter says there, To the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them. Elders are charged with the responsibility of caring for people's souls, of walking with them in times of need, of counseling, of getting into the details, even the mess and brokenness of people's lives, which includes all of us, even elders, ourselves. Teaching, instructing, loving Bringing the gospel of grace as we find it in scripture to bear onto the details of people's lives. Shepherding, that's at the heart of eldering. You notice the way the Bible talks about elders is that elders are not simply a distant board of directors. Not simply the advisors or theological gurus of the church that sit on the outside lines of people's real lives. Elders are called to be lovers of people. Deacons and deaconesses, on the other hand, were told in Acts 6, which is a passage that shows the formation of this function in the first century church, we hear these references to the distribution of food and waiting on tables, where the apostles said, here's a need. We need to ensure that people's physical needs are being met. Let's create a new group of leaders Not called deacons here, but later on called just that. And what was their charge? They were a part of a ministry to the poor, to the hungry, to the widows in the church. The work of deacons and deaconesses involves leading the church's work. So they're not just doing it themselves, but they're leading the church's work in meeting physical and material needs. This is a ministry of mercy, ministry of justice, ministry of compassion, both of church members within the community as well as of neighbors. People around us that are struggling to make ends meet. People around us and within us who are suffering. It's a ministry of sympathy and service and compassion and care for hurting And before we move on, take a look at how we have that package formed together in the leaders that God has set out for the church. Notice how holistic the care of people is meant to be. Elders, deacons, and deaconesses together are called to care for the whole person. Because guess what? Every one of us are broken through and through. We need ministry both to our bodies and to our souls, not just spiritual so-called ministry, but also physical ministry, emotional ministry, relational ministry, financial ministry, all these different aspects of all the ways that God has made us human. See, even this set of leaders that we're looking at, that itself is an amazing reflection of God's commitment to remake our humanity to make us whole. Hallelujah. That we have a God that is committed to all of me and not just part of me. It means, of course, that the church is called to hold together both the ministry of words, speaking the gospel of grace to one another, as well as the ministry of deeds, demonstrating and living the gospel of grace, both of them together. That's the sort of community that we feel called to be. Our leaders simply represent that priority and that commitment. So first, what are they called to do? Secondly, whom does God call? Whom does God call? First and foremost, do you know that the qualifications for these Uh, roles of leadership and service is not primarily gifts, not primarily abilities, not primarily all the incredible superstar things that you've accomplished. It's character. It's character. What an elder most needs, what a deacon and deaconess most needs is Christian character that's shaped by their experience of the grace of God. You might have noticed not only in Acts 6 when the apostles called together the church and said, okay, we need to set up this new role where people are taking care of the widow's needs. And they said here in verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are, to be, who are known to be what? The most gifted among you, the most able, the most wealthy, the smartest, the biggest and baddest? No. Known to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And if you remember what you heard in the reading of 1 Timothy chapter 3, listing off qualifications of elders and deacons and deaconesses, it really is remarkable how little Paul talks about gifts, competencies, and how through and through again and again and again he 's listing off personal character type of attributes that these leaders are to be marked by humility, that leaders in the church don 't have to get their way all their time or think that they 're right all the time, that they need to be teachable they 're servants. An elder doesn't lead with pretense, just keeping a distance from people. Rather, an elder, and in fact a deacon and deaconess as well, is always a person that is willing to show their weakness. Not hiding their weaknesses, but able boldly to say to the church that I need the grace of God more than any of you. (laughs) And I'm hungrier than any of you to have more of Jesus exalted in my life. Because he's my savior and I owe him everything. That leaders in the church would be chief repenters, the first ones on their knees. They're marked by humility. They're also marked by faithfulness. They're dependable in relationships, not only to their own spouse, if married. Paul says that a couple of times, that they're faithful to their wives, but also to people in the church. Faithful in relationships. Hey, a, a, an elder, even deacons too, need to be able to persevere in relationships. Hang in there, not flake out, not bail out when the going gets tough, and it does get tough. Then they need to be able to love flawed people, to give their heart to people who even know their worst flaws. These leaders are self-controlled, which doesn't just mean that they resist a second helping of dessert. Maybe it means that you know. But more than that, it means that love causes them to restrain their emotions, when that's what love calls for. Or where love calls them to even restrain their own opinions, sometimes restrain their own mouths. That they have to be able to speak, yes, but they also are able to be quiet when necessary. It means they don't run to alcohol or money to self-medicate when the going gets tough. These leaders are called to be hospitable, able to open their homes and their hearts, sharing their stuff and their time with people in the church, with neighbors, even with strangers. They're described as being gentle, which means they don't just pick fights all the time, even fights about the Bible. Where they give other people the benefit of the doubt, they're able to apologize, they're able to receive other people's anger without retaliating, they're a patient person, they're a good listener. You see, there's this interesting thing here where Paul says elders also, in verse 7, must have a good reputation with outsiders. With people who aren't even in the church and who may not even be Christians. I mean, this is really fascinating. This is how we know that Paul isn't just talking about stuffy Christian morality. Because this person actually needs to be embraced and loved and laughed with by the neighbor next door, regardless of what their beliefs are. There needs to be an integrity to the way they operate in the church and down the block with no gap between their private life and their public life, which is also why how they manage their own home, how they are behind closed doors, how they are with their roommates, with their families, with their children, with their spouses, is so important. What does this priority of character teach us here? It reminds us that in leadership, how we say what we say and how we lead is just as important, if not more important, as what we do or say. It's not just about making decisions. It's how do you bring people along. It's not just saying things that are true from the Bible. It's communicating patiently, courageously humbly, effectively in the lives of not just one person, but a church full of all different kinds of people. See, because leaders don't just do things and don't just decide things, one of the most important things they do is they create an atmosphere in the church. They create a culture. They set the tone, stuff you can't even point to You can barely even describe it, but it's there. Sometimes that has much greater influence on how people experience God and Christ and community, even more so than decisions that are made. And the greatest impact on the culture and the environment and tone of a community is the character of the leaders. But secondly, it reminds us that in Christian ministry and the life of the church— the most important thing is relationships and people, not just tasks. That again, these leaders aren't called just to get things done no matter what the cost, but the endeavor, the getting things done actually is, in itself, loving people. Steve Timmis, a pastor and author in the UK, he writes this, leadership in the church is a people business, so a key question to ask of potential leaders is a simple one, do they genuinely love I mean, how do you know that someone is called by God to be an elder, to be a deacon or deaconess? They have a strange, sometimes even inexplicable attraction to wanting to be in the mess of people's lives. It's really weird, you know, that I want, I want to actually put another person's burden on me. To walk with them with joy and with gospel hope. Yeah, it hurts sometimes. Yeah, it's tiring. And yeah, sometimes I want to run like Jonah from the call. But in due time, I'm tugged right back in. I want to walk with broken people because Jesus has walked with broken me. The call to character, which doesn't, of course, mean that gifts don't matter. Gifts do matter. Apostles give instructions in Acts 6, also in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, They're looking for leaders. They're looking for people that are actually able to lead and to serve with effectiveness. Deacons and deaconesses do need to have an unusual heart of compassion, thick skin and soft hearts. They need to have a certain kind of street smart. A, a, a deep practical wisdom about the way w- the world works and, and how to walk with folks that are struggling with all kinds of things, including all of us in our, in our own pews and homes and cars and lives, whether if it's addictions or if it's habitual sin or whatever it might be, to be able to sort through these things with gospel smarts. Deacons and deaconesses need to have the ability to work with people that are different from themselves, different economically, different culturally. Elders are called to teach. They need to be able to teach, the apostle tells us in 1, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 3, which means verbally communicate the gospel. This doesn't mean necessarily that they have to be able to do this massive presentation in front of hundreds of people and feel okay with that. Communication and instruction happens at all sorts of kinds of levels. It might be through informal counseling. It might be through teaching a class. For teaching elders, also known as pastors or preachers, it's here in a pulpit. But it might also just be through casual but intentional conversations over coffee. Discipleship and mentoring. Walking with a person. Different ways of bringing God's word And the gospel into people's lives. But both deacons and deaconesses and elders, apart from the particularities of these different roles, they are called to lead. And so they do have to have the ability to lead. They need to be able to be big picture people. uh, Seeing the big picture of people's needs and the church's needs. That's why elders are here called overseers. They can see the whole landscape a wide-angle lens view of the church and its needs, not just their corner of the universe and not just talking about their own individual needs. These leaders have an instinct to take responsibility. That's what leaders are. They want to take initiative. They notice needs and then they want to tackle them or at least mobilize other people to tackle them. Leaders are able to influence and persuade people, motivate them. This can happen through quiet conversations. It can happen by example as much as by verbal direction. But what's interesting for gifts of leadership, when Paul talks about it, he says, you know, one of the best places to look is in the home. Where he actually says, you're looking for proven leadership in family life or in roommate life. Because leading a church, Paul says in verse 5, requires this. If anyone does not know how to manage his own home and family, he doesn't say business, he doesn't say government, he says home or family, how can he take care of God's church, God's family? Leading a church is more like leading a large and complicated family than it is a corporation, or a government agency. I mean, it's really worth thinking about the differences there. And it's why Paul calls us to look in the home to see whether there's proven abilities there. I mean, think about what leadership at home requires. It requires initiative. It requires influence, care, wisdom, persuasion, spiritual nurture, winning the followership of people. This is leadership, and these people do need gifts of leadership as well. Well, while talking about this question of who God is calling into these roles, it is important. I want to pause for a few minutes and talk about this, and that is that how our church and our denomination does not actually ordain women to the office of elder. Uh, That only men may fill those roles. I want to talk for a few minutes about this and try to give a little bit of clarity as to what that actually means and why. Let me clarify, first of all, that this does not apply to deaconesses, the office of deacon. We're talking primarily or exclusively about the office of elder. As you see in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul actually refers to women who are actively involved and engaged in leadership Of diaconal ministry ministry of mercy compassion and justice he says in verse 11 in the same way women are to be worthy of respect not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything and that word women actually in the original greek can be translated either women generally or wives referring to the wives of male deacons And there's been centuries, literally, of debate on the meaning of that one sentence and paragraph. But this much seems to be clear, that in verse 11, the women that Paul is referring to are so central to mercy ministry in the church that Paul actually puts them up to the same standards and the same process of approval publicly evaluated by the church just like the male deacons of the church. That's how central they are. That's how active they are. That's how public their leadership role seems to be. Romans 16, verse 1, actually refers to Phoebe as a deacon of the church in Cancray. Now, that word deacon as well is a little bit ambiguous. Does it refer to this office of deacon? Or, literally, the word simply means servant. Was he just talking about the manner in which she has helped and led in the church? But again, this much is clear. Phoebe has led in a capacity that has invited Paul to ask the people of the church in Rome to follow her leadership. In whatever capacity it was, it certainly was significant leadership from her in a deacon-like role. In our denomination, deaconesses are not ordained, but rather commissioned, but they do do all the same work of mercy that their deacon brothers do. So we're only talking about the office of elders, especially because of restrictions that we find in places like 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul says that I do not permit a woman to exercise authority or teach over a man. What is going on there can I please list off a couple of, not arguments, but notes of different kinds that might be helpful to you. Of course, we'll have a chance to discuss during our Q&A time. First, number one, I want to start by acknowledging that I know that this is a difficult and sometimes painful issue for many of you. That in the past, you, have, you perhaps have been a part of a religious community, maybe even a Christian church, that made you feel devalued or patronized or marginalized? A community that treated women as inferior, less gifted than men, or non-essential to the community? If this is your story, I am so sorry. I know it's a painful thing. I, I know it lingers in the heart. I'd love to hear more of your story. We actually want to be a community where we can talk honestly and safely about wounds like these. We want to be a community that's learning to listen and even to weep together with one another. And we want to be ready to repent of whatever areas we might become aware of of different forms of sexism or gender-based exclusion that's unbiblical whenever it might be needed here in our church as well. Number two, the New Testament teaches the equality of women and of men. Maybe that goes without saying, but it needs to be said. This is loud and clear in Scripture, and it needs to be loud and clear In our church community, too. In fact, the same Apostle Paul who articulated this male only aspect of the office of elder also wrote this in his letter to the Galatians There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Which is to say that the grace of God gives men and women equal access to God, and that this barrier-breaking grace ought to totally transform the way we relate to members of the opposite sex starting in the church. We ought to see a difference as an aspect of Christian gospel maturity. Christians should be pushing for equal treatment of women more than Christians should be the most pro-women people in the world. After all, Jesus was. Well, speaking of Jesus, number three. Jesus himself never taught directly on this topic, but his life and behavior spoke volumes. On the one hand, he famously challenged the patriarchal customs of his day and didn't seem to care when he was criticized for it. He spoke with women, spoke highly of faithful women, touched and healed hurting women, worked with women as some of his closest partners in ministry, even chose two women, Mary and Martha, to serve as the very first witnesses of his resurrection. On the other hand, when it came time to choose his apostles the first leaders of the Christian church Jesus chose 12 men Number 4 in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 you don't have time to go into all the details of those passages though I'm happy to talk about it further what is limited and what is what is limited to called and qualified men is very specifically the function of authoritative teaching which is the responsibility of elders let me explain this refers not only to the public preaching of god's word like i'm doing now it also refers to the important work of judging how god's word will be interpreted in the church and applied into the lives of its people clarifying for the church the difference between true teaching and false teaching who's going to do that it's the elders and it's called by paul authoritative teaching these passages do not say do not say that women should not lead does not say that women should not teach rather they say that women should not carry out The one kind of teaching, authoritative teaching, that's in the job description of the one leadership office of elder. And so the women, a woman can and in fact should serve and teach and lead in any way that a non-elder man can, both of them under the oversight of the elder. Number five, in fact, Paul's letters celebrate and commends women for their leadership and their vital ministry in the Christian community. And so in Romans 16, Phoebe is described as a deacon and a benefactor of many people. Paul asked the Roman Christians to receive her leadership and ministry. Priscilla, named together with her husband Aquila in verse 3 of Romans 16 there, Named together with her husband, but actually named first, going against ancient custom, probably because Paul was recognizing that she was probably more actively involved in ministry than her husband was. She's called a co-worker in Christ Jesus. This is a term, clearly, of partnership, almost peership, with the apostle. And look, we're not just talking about behind-the-scenes ministries or care ministries. Paul commends women for their public teaching ministries. In 1 Corinthians 11, we know that women prophesied, which was a form of teaching God's truth. And they also prayed in Christian worship services. They're encouraged to exercise their spiritual gifts In public Christian gatherings, Paul is simply writing in these passages how to regulate and direct the proper exercise of those gifts. In other words, women are to be fully engaged in all ministries, including teaching ministries and public leadership over ministries. The leadership and teaching role of the office of elder is the one exception. And so number six, you might ask then why the exception? Why the exception? Well, clearly from Scripture, we know, we've talked about what the answer is not. That women are inferior. That women are incapable of leading or teaching or caregiving. So why the exception? Well, you know, the truth is we don't know. There's a bit of a mystery here. That we need to be careful not to unpack in too much detail and accidentally start to import our own cultural understandings of maleness and femaleness here. But here's one interesting clue as to why God may have ordained things in this sort of way. And that's all it is, is a clue, not a clear-cut answer. And it's this, we've already touched on it. That on several occasions... Paul draws comparisons between an elder's role in the church and an elder's role in the home. That in some ways, elders are called to serve sort of as the dads of the church family. Offering sacrificial and loving servant-like leadership. The church is the family of God, and elders are called to be the sacrificial servant leaders of that community. You might ask number seven, well, what if I have pastoral or elder-like gifts? What if I feel actually I'm gifted to fill that function and that role? Well, I think the answer of the Bible is let's find ways to use those gifts. They came from Jesus, so let's steward them well and they're to be used to love others. But having a gift doesn't always mean that can it only be used in a specific role. Gifts and roles are not the same thing. That there are indeed women who are extremely pastoral, extremely Extremely effective leaders who care about the big picture mission and strategies of the church. I have specific sisters in my mind that I know are more gifted than I am. And if we're only looking at gifts and character, then I would be happy to call them in and even pass on my mantle of leadership to some of them. Except for this one exceptional thing, teaching that we find in scripture. How can we find different uses of those same gifts applied in different settings in real relationships to the glory of Jesus and for your joy. And number eight, wouldn't embracing this view amount to diminishing my value as not just a woman, but as a human being. And I can only suggest, not being a woman myself, that we consider the doctrine of the Trinity as Kathy Keller, a helpful author that's doing ministry in the New York, uh, in New York City, alongside her husband Dr. Tim Keller, where she points out how helpful this has been for her. This understanding that there are three persons in one God—the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—and again and again, the Bible testifies to God the Son's equality with God the Father. John 10, Jesus puts it this way, I and the Father are one. And yet in a mysterious way, the Son actually operates in his earthly ministry under the leadership of the Father. John 5, he says, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. And so there's perfect equality and glory shared shared by God the Father and the Son as equals, and yet apparently that equality did not mean that they had to have the exact same leadership role. And if that's true of God himself, could it be possible not to interpret the prohibition of women from the office of elder not as a sign of the low value of women or a low value of yourself. Because letting the Father lead somehow did not diminish the Son's glory. And in fact, the Father, in his leadership, in turn, exalted the Son and enhanced his glory. It didn't diminish his, must it diminish ours. And ninthly, I know it's a long list. I simply want to say, let's keep reading and studying this together. That we not simply be quick to say, well, Paul's view is outdated on women. It just needs to be updated. You know, because if you take that same interpretative approach to the whole Bible, you, you know you might accidentally, successfully undermine or explain away the cross of Christ or the hope of heaven or other truths that you thought you held dear. We have to interpret the Bible consistently and coherently. We can do that together in community, even when it means encountering things in the Bible that are hard to bear. Just want to present those things to you. Happy to talk further. Let's close up with this third point very quickly. Here, how does God call? He calls inwardly, meaning you have a desire in your heart to serve in this way. First Timothy three one. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. God calls through your, I want to do this. But he also calls through an outward process of affirmation in the community. You notice in 1 Timothy 3, Paul is listing out all these qualifications publicly so that the whole church can be on the lookout. Because you're called not just when you want to, but when you want to, and other people say, yeah, yeah, that's right. We do think that God is leading you into this role. Where we see in Acts 6, this process where the apostles ask the people to put forward a few candidates, essentially a nominations process. And when they do that, then the apostles take them, they seem to screen and test them a little bit, evaluate, okay, you've brought forward these nominees, let's see if they're actually fit for the job, and to train them, and then eventually to lay hands on them, effectively ordaining them, commissioning them for the task. And that's what our process here entails as well, putting the call out, to the formal members of the community to submit nominations, but to work together with me and the elders of the Grace DC network who will be walking alongside us through this process to evaluate who might God be calling, who might God be drawing into these positions of leadership. But I close with this final thought, that part of that process, you see, was a deep and sincere process of prayer that we see this here in Acts six and verses five and six the choosing that happens only through prayer the presentation of these men who were prayed over by the apostles in acts 13 where paul and barnabas were called and sent out by the church in antioch but only after a season of prayer and fasting Because God uses the community to discern and to raise people up. But ultimately, the calling comes from God. God empowers, gifts, selects, transforms his leaders. And that's, again, what makes it so exciting, that you and I are on the cutting edge of what God is doing in the life of Grace Meridian Hill. It's no small thing. It has everything to the church that we not only are, but one day will become. As his appointed and called leaders lead and serve by the grace of God. Let's pray together. God, And so we submit this to you and ask that you would be kind and merciful to us. That you would help us to grow in wisdom and knowing not only specifically what kind of leaders you want us to look for. And that you want us to become. But that you would also expand our understanding of what leadership is. And of course, first and foremost, we look to you, Jesus, the chief leader of leaders. That you would lead us, and that we would all together become more like you. It's for your glory that we ask this, and by your power. Amen. Let's stand together, and let's sing.